morning, everyone. It's well worth um, opening your Bible, if you've just shut it, uh, back to Colossians 1. And if you've got one of the church Bibles in front of you, it's page 1832. And I think there's um, some sermon outlines at the back, if you'll find that helpful. Um, you can grab one of those. I, I sadly missed most of um, uh, the, the coronation last night. And when I say sadly missed, it was for a good reason. It was my youngest daughter's 13th birthday party, so it was a coronation of sorts. Um, and she was there uh, having a, a party at our house with her closest friends. That's how she described all 30 of them. Um, and it was, it was a great occasion. But uh, later I did get to catch uh, a couple of glimpses of it. Uh, and it is quite a moment, isn't it? Whatever you think of coronations and whatever you think of uh, kings and the Commonwealth and Charles in particular, it is impossible to deny the moment of it. Uh, bestowing kingship on uh, someone, symbolic or otherwise, bestowing rule on someone, symbolic or otherwise, is no small thing. And I'm not sure what you think of Charles's suitability for such a crown, but that's the reality. Having a, the crown of rule, of leadership in our world, rest on any head is well too much for that head. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, when reflecting on the coronation of uh, Charles's mother, Queen Elizabeth, he wrote these words of, of the moment of her coronation, which I think captures this perfectly. The Queen herself appeared to be quite overwhelmed. Hence, in the spectators, there was a mixture of both awe and pity. The pressing of that huge, heavy crown on that small, young head. Uh, for humanity... Uh, having the crown of kingship of this world, whether it's a small part of this world, whether it's large parts of this world, rest on that head is, is actually well beyond us. I think that's true even of our own attempt to self-rule, to, to be in charge of our own life, to, to rule in that sense, to, to even live our own life well, let alone be of command, command of anything greater than that, is, well, so often beyond us. And that's why these words in Colossians 1, and I hope you've got them open there in front of you, I think are incredibly helpful for us. They end the fanciful notion that the crown actually does fit our head. Uh, Colossians 1, 15 to 23, that we'll look at together this morning, is actually in the end, I think, a call to surrender. It's a call to see the only one whose head is fit to wear the king's crown. King of our lives, king of of this world and indeed as we'll see and perhaps you pick this up as Colin read it, king of all things. Uh, Colossians 1 15 to 23 is the coronation of the true king, our king Jesus and so I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to help us listen well. These are wonderful verses and there is a sense in looking at them that it feels like standing on sacred ground together and it would be easy just to, uh, these are verses that perhaps we've heard uh, if we've been in church some, uh, for many years, we've heard many times before. But let me encourage you to uh, sit humbly under them this morning. Let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, we see in these words, your word, the, the reality of who our King is, your Son, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. And so we would pray that you would quiet our hearts, that we may hear your declaration about him, that we may hear the Spirit's declaration about him and that we may humbly bow the knee before him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as uh, Josh said, we started this series on Colossians together last week. It's, it's written by the Apostle Paul to a, a church, a group of Christians in Colossae that he's never met, but he wants to write to them, having heard that they've come to faith in Christ Jesus, received Christ Jesus. 
he wants, he, he's writing to them to encourage them to keep going as Christians, to keep walking. If you, if you jump forward in your Bibles to Colossians 2, 6 and 7, there, there you'll see the heart of this letter. He says, having received Christ, keep going. And part of uh, the way he's going to encourage them to do that, part of the way of encouraging them to walk as those whose faith, whose trust is in Jesus, is being really clear on how worthy Jesus is of our trust and indeed how completely we need him to rule our lives. And so with that in mind, uh, as you think about your own life as a Christian, if you are someone who has received Christ Jesus as Lord, if you would say of your life, my faith is in Jesus who's my King, let me ask you this, who is this Jesus that you put your trust in? Who is Jesus to you? And I I reckon uh, for those of us who have received Jesus uh, by faith, we, we might answer that question differently. Uh, there would be some, and perhaps uh, this is part of your testimony, who would say, uh, Jesus is in my life. That's what I mean by having faith in Jesus. I invited him into my life. And perhaps you've heard that description of someone becoming a Christian. Uh, Jesus is, is, if you like, the missing piece in my life. Uh, he's the bit that makes my life complete. Without him, I'm not complete. Uh, and so I invited him. I asked him uh, into my life. Now, in one sense, that, that sort of testimony about Jesus is true. Uh, if, if you jump forward to Colossians 1.27, uh, we'll be told this is the heart of the Christian life. Christ in you, inviting Christ into your life. But, but is that all he is? Uh, the guy who gets to tag along with your big life, Jesus gets to come along. He's a pocket-sized Jesus. I've invited him along for the ride, the big adventure of my life. Or or there's this picture of Jesus. Jesus is the guy who fixed my life. And in many ways, that's true, isn't it? Of of all of us, I I have problems and only Jesus can fix them. I'm a sinner. I'm going to die. That's the reality of life in this world. And only Jesus can change that. I I needed him to fix those things. Uh, Jesus is the ultimate fix-it guy. Problems I am powerless to fix. He's been able to. That's who he is to me. He's the guy who's sorted things out. Now, who is Jesus whom you trust, who you say, my life is about faith in him? Well, as Paul writes to the Colossians and he hears of their faith in Christ Jesus, he wants them to know not just some of who Jesus is, and he is in our life, and he is the guy who fixes things. He doesn't want them to know some of who Jesus is. He wants them to know the full dimensions of who Jesus is that may trust him fully. And as we see that together, and we do need to see that ourselves, We do so knowing that all too often our faith in Jesus is shallow because our view of Jesus is shallow. Because our understanding in the end, often when it comes to our faith, starts with us. I have a lack, Jesus fills it. I have a problem, Jesus fixes it. But to box Jesus in that way, to reduce him down to that, is to profoundly undervalue him. Uh, This passage, I think, shatters a domestic view of Jesus. Uh, are you complete me Jesus Uh, fix it man Jesus to show us who he really is and so let me invite you if you don't have it open there in front of you uh, to look at it as we'll work our way through these verses together and verses 15 to 16 are going to show us three huge things about Jesus that blows the domestic Jesus out of the water here it is here's the first of them verse 15 he is God revealed he is the image of the invisible God you see how much bigger Jesus is than the missing piece of our life he's our very God 
Uh, he is, in fact, God made known. That's the picture there, the image of the invisible God. There's no more mystery in our world about what God is like. Uh, I, I often hear this phrase uh, in our world, I like to think of God as, and there's, a, there's an end to that sentence, and people have all sorts of ideas of what God may be like, but actually we can think all we like and guess all we like, but uh, all the mystery has been taken out of it. God has been revealed to us in Jesus. Jesus is God seen and walked with and talked with. He, uh, we see in Jesus the, the very compassion and servant-heartedness our God has. We, we see that God has a love for sinners. That's what God is like. That, the, that he has an advocacy for the lowly, like, like none in this world. That He reveals to us just how incredibly powerful Jesus is. But before we get to his power, see also this in verse 15. Here's the second big thing uh, about Jesus that's revealed there. He is humanity revealed. Again, that phrase, he is the image of the invisible God. And you remember that from those early verses in Genesis, as God was creating humanity made in his image. He is that very image revealed. Jesus is the image of what we created in God's image were meant to be. Uh, we get glimpses of God's image in us and in other humans in our world. We, we see it in these moments of compassion, these, these moments of servant-heartedness that we're capable of and others in our world are capable of, moments of love and advocacy for, for those in need. But just as quickly they're gone and replaced by a, a marred and twisted version of that image that, that's more about pride and, well, selfish ambition and unforgiveness and cruelty. That's in us too. But Jesus is what we could have had as humans and he is what we should have been as humans. But he's much more than that. He's much more than just uh, a human fully realising their potential. He is in fact the only one worthy of carrying the crown in this world. And again, verse 15 shows us this. He is the firstborn over all creation. Now, look carefully at this verse. It doesn't mean that he's the first thing created in God's creation. In fact, the context around these verses, and we'll see this as we go along, shows that he himself is the creator. Uh, the New Testament, uh, for instance, John chapter 1, shows that he's, uh, he, he has been eternally with God the Father. So he's not a created person. This is about his rank. He's the firstborn. He's the firstborn son. He's the rightful heir of all things in creation that he has made. He is, in fact, the king of creation. So who is Jesus to me, to you? He is the one I meant to bow the knee before. He is God, my king. What makes such a claim valid? Well, have a look at verse 16, and I'll, I'll uh, translate it slightly differently, but uh, this is such a wonderful verse. Speaking of who Jesus is, it says, In him were all things created, those in the heavens and those upon the earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or lordships, whether principalities or authorities, all things through him and all things for him. Now zoom in with me on this first because it really does uh, blow out the dimensions, doesn't it, of just how incredibly awesome Jesus is. Uh, Firstly, in him. When it talks about all things, they're all in him. And uh, it's such a brilliant picture, isn't it? All things are created within the sphere of Christ's influence. There's nothing outside his influence. There's nothing outside his rule. It doesn't matter where I am in this world or, or what I am doing or what I am thinking. He's in charge. 
doesn't that cut across the grain of the assumption that we have in this world of human self-rule, of autonomy? In him, all things were created. That should humble us. Do you see the absurdity of thinking that I invite Jesus into my life and he gets to tag along into the life that I choose to live however I like and I get to set the agenda of that life? No, well, it's all in him. When I come to faith in him, it's like I invite him into my life and, well, he takes over the joint in him. Here's the second one. Again, verse 16, it is all through him. He's the powerful agent of all creation. Uh, It it reminds me of who I am in this world. I'm a dependent creature. I, I exist through him. For me to take the credit then for the things I am or the things I do in this world, it's like the clay taking credit from the potter. It's the wrong way around. It's through him that I do these things. And then this third one. It is all for him. He's the purpose of all things. He is what all life is for. And again, uh, this fills out the immense dimensions of uh, what I mean when I say my faith is in Christ. It, it means that everything I do and I, I say and everything that I plan to be, it's for him. My existence is for him. And, and in one sense, that, that's threatening to, to any sort of idea and claim that we might have to take pride for what we're about in life. But actually, it does the opposite. It makes everything I do purposeful. It's all for him. Nothing is meaningless. And then this, and this is perhaps my favourite part of this description of Jesus, verse 17, describing him, it says this, in him all things hold together. Isn't that an incredible picture of Jesus and his rule over creation and his rule over our lives? Uh, Apart from his ongoing rule over creation, apart from his ongoing rule over my life, the whole thing would fall apart. Uh, That that you're taking the breath of air that you're, you're, you're inhaling right now is because he is king. The whole thing is held together because of who he is. Don't you see how our trust of him can't be compartmentalised, that this part of my life Jesus is in charge of? No. But as we look at this description of him, all things hold together in him, there's a problem, isn't there? I mean, Colossians 1 declares that, that that's who he is. He is king of all things, but that's not what we see in all things, is it, as we look at our world? We're told that he is head of all rulers. That's the picture here. And yet, uh, as we slept last night, uh, Putin's missiles continue to rain down over the Ukraine. Is he in charge of him? We're told that he is head of all people, and yet so many live as his enemies. We're told he holds all things together, but in our world, things fall apart, don't they? Things that matter. Human lives fall apart. Relationships fall apart. Bodies fall apart. And this is the world we're well familiar with, where things fall apart. Could it be that this glorious description in verses 15 to 17 is is just... Uh, political rhetoric and spin that we're used to with rulers in our world. The, 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 the description here is spectacular, but, well, doesn't hold water. Well, not even slightly. You know, uh, already in our look at Colossians, if you look back to verse 13, Colossians 1 has made no secret of the fact that Jesus is not yet head of all things, as it describes here, as he ought to be. The, the evidence is there, uh, There's a problem, a disruption in all things. 
1.13, Paul made reference to another rule. Do you see it there? It's the dominion of darkness. There's the truth of our world as we meet this morning. This is a world that's exchanged the rule of Jesus for the cruel and disordered rule of Satan. The father of or the creator of, well, all he can claim to have created, the Bible tells us, is lies. Lies about God. This is a world under the dominion of darkness. Uh, This is a world, you see how it's described in verse 14, slaves in need of redemption. Slaves to our own sin and under the sentence of death that comes from that sin. All things are, well, it seems in our world, not under Christ. All things are indeed in our world not living as you'd expect them to be living under king jesus in fact they're doing the opposite of living they're dying verse 13 and 14 just before our passage declares that well here's a picture of our world there a rebellious enslaved dying creation so in a world like that in a world in the rebellious throes of death as our world is what what is jesus the rightful ruler of all things, the rightful wearer of the crown. What is he doing in a world like that? Well, verse 18 gives us, I think, the unexpected answer. He is the head of the body, the church. What is God doing in a world under the dominion of darkness? He is king of the church. That's what he's doing. But here's the question again. What difference does that make to all things beyond the church? Because there's plenty in our world that's not the church, isn't there? Things in Colossae, uh, beyond that little gathering in Philemon's house, what does it mean for the rest of Colossae? Uh, Things beyond this little gathering here at Pierce's Corner. He's the head of this gathering, but what about the rest of Wurundjeri? What is the king doing here in this gathering that actually does make a difference to the world outside and indeed our own experience of this world where things fall apart and die? Well, again, verse 18, look look at it carefully. Do you see what King Jesus is doing here? Verse 18, he is beginning. That's what he's doing. Now, work with me uh, on this just for a moment. I I think this is remarkable, but it's easy to miss. Back in verse 15, we were told this, he is king. And do you see why in verse 15? Because he's the beginning of all creation. That's why he's king. But then look at verse 18. We're now told he is king because he is the beginning of a new creation. Uh, Do you see the jolting contrast in verses 15 and 18? Verse 15, because he created all things, he's the firstborn over all creation. And then verse 18, he's the firstborn, do you see what it says there? From among the dead. This is our gospel, as the end of our passage says. The first creation, our our current home, uh, which is of course not our home, is in the rebellious throes of death. That's the reality. In fact, If you jump forward in Colossians to verse 13 of chapter 2, it will say this, we are dead in our sins. Our world is dying. Do you believe that? And in one sense, the evidence is there, isn't it? The scientists will tell you that our planet is dying. And we don't need scientists to tell us that because we experience it in our own frailties, our own bodies. But the fact that this is a world in the throes of death is not ultimately because of carbon targets or calories. The cause of death is much more simple and yet much more tragic. 2 verse 13 gives us this cause. It is our own sin. And from our passage, 121, it is our own evil that is the cause of it. 
We live in a world that has kicked itself free from the author and sustainer and purpose of life and it should not surprise us that that action leads to death. We are, verse 21, alienated from the God who is the source and sustainer of all things. We claim autonomy from him and we find ourselves living in this world with a terrible estrangement from the one who's actually king over this world. That's the situation our world is in. We are a world under the sentence of death, a sentence that, well, to be honest, is just, a sentence that I think we feel acutely at times, and one day we too will be, verse 18, among the dead. That's the tragedy of this world, a world that he made. But look again at verse 18. There among the dead, of all the things you should expect to find among the dead, of, of all of those in our world that must die, is this one, our King, Jesus. Why? What's he doing among the dead? Uh, 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 is he there, as sometimes happens with kings and dignitaries and prime ministers, uh, there as a comforter? And uh, of course he should be, uh, and he does offer a comfort like no other, but uh, is it more than that? Is he, is he here as king? Uh, perhaps doing what dignitaries do at, at tragic moments in our world, come to pay respects. Yeah. I wonder if you've noticed that, the, the tragic moments in our nation or in our world, it's always a, that's the moment to wheel out the king or the, the prime minister to visit the scene. And in one sense, that's deeply appropriate, isn't it? it it's part of their job to, to be there in those moments. But it's also in those moments that you see even the mightiest of human kings is so small in that moment because they can't do anything to change it. I mean, what really can they do as they visit those scenes? It does remind me again of C.S. Lewis's words about Queen Elizabeth. This huge and heavy crown to place on such a tiny head that cannot carry that weight. It reminds me uh, of the old nursery rhyme. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. That's the truth of our world. Even the most powerful rulers can't fix it. Such human rule is ultimately powerless to save a world that has fallen apart because of its own sin, a world rightfully under the sentence of death. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put this world back together again, but this king can. And therein lies the answer to why he's there in verse 18, why he is among the dead, into a world torn apart, torn away from God, a world torn apart from God by our sin and our evil, Jesus comes to put all things back together. Do you see the words used to describe what he's doing on the scene? Uh, two words used are reconciling and peace. Uh, both of them, if you look at their literal meaning, uh, this is where, what they're about. Reconcile literally means to repair, to make something good again. And peace literally means to make it whole again. That's what he's doing here. In a world that falls apart, he is putting it back together. That's what he's doing among the dead. And he's doing it by dealing with the root cause of it falling apart. He's dealing with our sin, our estrangement from God. Uh, let me read verses 19 to 22 and you'll see how he does it. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death 
to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Uh, what is the king doing among the dead? He's our peacemaker. That's what he's doing. He's there shedding his royal blood. You were an enemy at war with your creator. A war that you were losing. But he, the firstborn, the creator, the sustainer, walks onto the battlefield and he sheds his royal blood there for you. He made peace, we're told, through the shedding of his blood. He's your substitute. That's what he's doing there. You and I, sinners, unfit to be with him, although that's actually where we belong. <laughs> we live away from him and we have no way back. But verse 22, by Christ's physical body, through death, he presents you again holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Do you see the reconciliation there? And as we close, see this. He's not just among the dead as a peacemaker. Something else is at play too. And uh, this is thrilling, I reckon. Uh, look closely again at verse 18. See who he is among the dead. He is the firstborn. And here you see how mighty our King Jesus is, because that's not what dead people do, is it? They don't get born, and yet that's what he's doing among the dead, uh, it, because it was impossible for death to hold him down. The king who in the beginning said, let there be life when there was nothing, is the same king who in this new beginning says, let there be life when there's nothing but death. Let there be new life. And so behold your king, supreme, and utterly sufficient to wear the crown of this world and indeed of your life. Behold your king among the dead as your peacemaker, as the firstborn, as the one who is making all things new. Now we're going to respond to what we've heard in song and then by sharing in the Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask the musos to come up now and we're going to sing together and then in a moment as we share the Lord's Supper, we're going to do that uh, as a church as we do each month to proclaim King Jesus together. We share in the, this simple meal of, uh, of bread and juice to do what verse 23, the end of our passage says, uh, here's what it says, so that we might continue in our faith, that we might establish that faith firm in our hearts and our minds, that we might rejoice in the hope that's held out to us in the gospel. And so uh, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And uh, let me encourage you to use this song to set your heart firmly on your King Jesus. Listen to this third verse of what we're about to sing. Come behold the wondrous mystery. Christ the Lord upon the tree. In the stead of ruined sinners hangs the lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold. Bringing many sons to glory. Grace unmeasured. Love untold. Let's stand and praise our King Jesus.